Welcome to Anointed Path Podcast. I am your host, Allie Boyd. Pull up a chair and stay a while because right here we will study the Word of God together, dive into spiritual warfare, false religion, and occult. And of course, hear some amazing testimonies along the way that will always point us to Christ. You guys, I am so happy you're here. Let's go ahead and get started. With October 31st being right around the corner, today I wanted to take you back in history and talk about Halloween. If you listened to my first episode, you know that as a child and as an adult, I have dabbled into witchcraft and occult practices. When I was about 8 or 10 years old, my cousins and I, we jokingly performed a, like a witchcraft ritual. We took a mirror, we drew a set of steps, took a queen of black hearts, put her face down, and we sat, like put her face down on the mirror, we sat in the circle, lit candles, held hands, did the whole thing, and we chanted, asking her to come down the steps and enter our physical world. Well, of course, we got too scared and wiped down the steps off the mirror and ran out of that room, But I still remember the dark energy that filled that space when we were doing that. I also always loved horror movies. And I'm not sure if it's the adrenaline rush that you get when you watch those movies or the curiosity of the dark side that pulled me in. So Celebration of Halloween was not an exception. Spooky haunted houses, corn mazes, horror films, costumes, decor, I did it all. I still remember the last time I decorated our house, and that was seven years ago, and that year I got a little carried away, and not only did I scare myself, but also my husband felt pretty uncomfortable. Plastic skulls and skeletons all over the house, vampire teeth and crystal glassware filled with fake human blood, black candles, and front porch covered with webs and spiders. Till this day I remember hearing the devil just laugh at me. It took me hours to decorate that day, and when I was finished, I stepped back, look around, and I could physically feel the same dark energy that was present uh, in the room when I was a child and did that ritual. Same dark energy was filled, um, filling my home. So immediately, I tore everything down, put it in bins, and threw it away. Two years ago, and still, that didn't stop us from participating, right, uh, in Halloween every year. So I stopped decorating, but we still dressed up and went trick-or-treating. So two years ago, another incident happened, um, this time involving my youngest daughter. And I'm going to share this story with you at the end. But for now, I want to talk about Halloween, Like, where did it come from? How did it get started? So let's travel back in history. Halloween, Halloween's date back to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain. The Celts who lived 2,000 years ago, mostly in the area that is now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Northern France, celebrated their new year on November 1st. This day marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time of year that was often associated with human death. Celts believed that on the night before the new year, 
the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain when it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to earth. Celts thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Celtic priest to make predictions about the future. These prophecies were an important source of comfort during the long dark winter. The Celtic priest built huge sacred bonfires where the people gathered to burn crops and animal sacrifice to the Celtic deities. During the celebration, the Celts wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, and attempted to to tell each other fortunes. So those who celebrated believed that the barriers between the physical world and the spirit world break down during Samhain, allowing more interactions between humans and uh, the inhabitants of the other world. So... Today we know it as, you know, Ouija boards and people constantly trying to contact the dead and and have some type of connection with them. Samhain was the moment when spiritual world became visible to humans. And the gods enjoyed, so these are fallen gods, demons, enjoyed playing tricks on the mortals. It was also a time when the spirits of the dead mingled with the living. Early texts present that Samhain was a mandatory celebration, lasting, listen to this, three days and three nights, where the community was required to show themselves to local kings. Failure to participate was believed to result in punishment from gods, usually as a form of illness or death. So when I was reading that, and I saw that three days and three nights, it instantly took me to Matthew twelve forty, where it says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And, you know, if you studied, um, not even studied, but have heard about a cold and witchcraft and Hollywood and their rituals, the number three, 33, always pops up. And that's because Satan likes to copy everything God does. He's not a creator, so he has to steal and take everything that God does. So this festival lasted three days and three nights. Um, one of the most like popular, popular stories that was told during the Samhain festival was the second battle of Mag Torrid, which portrays the final conflict between the Celtic known as the Tutha Denanan, and evil oppressors known as the Fomor. The myths state that the battle unfolded over the period of Samhain. So there was a supernatural battle going on in the supernatural world in that in that um, time period, which also makes me think, uh, you know, the devil, he knows what's going to happen at the end of the at the end of time, he knows it's going to be the battle of Armageddon. That's why he is so desperately trying to prepare for it with just stealing souls and deceiving people. And that's why I believe during Halloween, just like back in this day of this festival, the sacrifice of animals and even humans still exists and it still happens. Those things didn't just stop. They continued 
to pass on through generations, and they continue to happen. Um, also, in the Middle Ages, there was a new tradition that was called um, Dumb Supper began to take place, in which food was consumed by those who celebrated, but only after inviting ancestors to join in, giving the families, families a chance to interact with the spirits until they left following dinner. So the children during that dinner would play games to entertain the dead, while adults updated the dead on the past year's news. That night, doors and windows might be left open for the dead to come in and eat cakes that had been left for them. So this reminded me of a tradition that we have in Russia, and this is, in my opinion, extremely creepy, but when somebody dies, they um, keep the body in the coffin in their homes for three days and three nights so that the loved ones and the friends can come in and say their goodbyes and all the mirrors in the house will be covered. They believed um, this, if you don't cover the mirrors, the spirit of the dead can get stuck inside the mirrors and not like cross over to the, you know, to the world of the dead and then all the windows and doors would be open as well for the spirit to kind of roam the streets and finish their business and say goodbye to their loved ones and then return back to its body and i'm not making this up because i as a child have attended those rituals i call them many times with my grandma who would lose a friend or um Somebody in our town would die that she knew. We would go and say our goodbyes. And I remember people sitting around this coffin crying. And all the win- all the mirrors would be covered and the doors and windows would be open. Always freaked me out as a child. Well, um, as Christianity gained a foothold in pagan communities, church leaders attempted to reframe Samhain as a Christian celebration. That's when they kind of tried to make it okay for Christians to participate and celebrate this pagan holiday. My uh, The first attempt was by Pope in the 5th century. He moved the celebration to May 13th and specified it as a day celebrating saints. The fire festival of October and November, however, did not end with the decree. In the 9th century, Pope Gregory moved the celebration back to the time of the fire festival, but declared it to be an All Saints Day on November 1st. So on October 31st, they celebrated the Samhain, the Day of the Dead, and then on November 1st was the Day of All Saints, um, started by this Pope. And then All Souls Day would follow on November 2nd. Well. Pope Gregory advised a missionary going to England that instead of trying to do away with the religious customs of non-Christian people, they should simply convert them to a Christian religious purpose. For example, quote, written by uh, this missionary, the site of pagan temple, temple could be converted to become a Christian church. If you... This uh, off topic, but there is a, a documentary on Netflix where um, it's in, I believe it's in Oregon, where there was a giant cult 
practice was happening. And then later on, this land was bought by a Christian organization. They had pastors come in and anoint the land and pray over it because there was a lot of weird rituals were being done. So they kind of took the land and now using it for, I believe, Young Life Christian Camp. Um, in that fashion, Samhain the Celts dark supernatural festival eventually was converted and given a Christian context. So the ancient Celts, he writes, this missionary, he writes that the ancient Celts believed that all sorts of threatening spirits were out and about on Samhain. The early medieval church, Christian church, believed in all saints, Christians who were remarkable for their um, religious belief and their lives, but saints all also had a supernatural side, such as their involvement in miraculous occurrences. So the church mixed the traditions involving Celtic spirits, demons, and Catholic saints, Christians. In the 1800s, the church designed November 1st as All Saints Day, as I mentioned before. Um in 1982 article, article Jack Santino wrote that old beliefs associated with Samhain never died out entirely. The powerful symbolism of the traveling dead was too strong and perhaps too basic to the human psyche to be satisfied with the new, more abstract Catholic feast honoring saints. And this is why at the very beginning I shared and said that as a child, I was always kind of intrigued by the dark side, and and it just takes you back to the story of Adam and Eve, right, where the devil came, and all he had to do just plant this seed of curiosity in Eve's brain, and that's exactly what I mentioned also in my a life that I did on Instagram, talking about the blurring of lines, how the devil, he's so good at blurring lines to where people don't even see where the the line is right so the same thing happened here the the power the that came with the celebration of Samhain was too strong so the kind of abstract basic catholic traditions weren't really that exciting to people so instead of the first night of Samhain, October 31st became an All Hallows Day evening. That name eventually morphed into Halloween and became the time when Christians could turn the supernatural symbolism and rituals of Samhain into spooky fun. Also during that time, um, a broad revival of Samhain resembling its traditional pagan form began in the 1980s with the growing popularity of Wicca. And the founder of Wicca, excuse me, uh, um, drew his inspiration from Aleister Crowley. And if you don't know who Aleister Crowley is, he was uh, an occultist. He wrote um, a few books on occult. And the founder of Satan, uh, Anton LaVey, he actually followed the footsteps of this British occultist, Aleister Crowley, and he founded the Church of Satan. And... I went on their website, the Church of Satan, and I found this article written by their high priestess, Barton. She wrote this about Halloween, and she said, quote, Halloween is traditionally a time when obscure portal into the realms of darkness, death, and the supernatural 
supernatural is thrown open. Demons and spirits have free reign for one night, dancing enticing us into their revels and revealing glimpses into the future. As a child drawn to darker passions from birth, I always delighted in the fear and fantasies of Halloween. It gives even the most uh, mundane people the opportunity to taste wickedness for one night. They have a chance to dance with the devil, either stumbling, tittering, and uh, nervous in the arms of the Black Prince, or boldly, ravenously sharing in the sensual excesses and fright of others on this magical, unholy night. Now, birth and death have for me become interbound into this day. Our son, Herr Kess, was born to us on November 1st, the day of the dead in the Latin cultures, a time reserved for feasting and communing with long-dead ancestors. We celebrated Herkes' birthday at midnight on Halloween for three years. And then a high priest, my love and master, she's talking about Anton LaVey, died on October 29, 1997, three days before Herkes' first birthday. As painful as the last two years have been for Herkes and I, it seems fitting that Dr. LaVey should have died when he did, when the barrier between life and death is only a paper-thin membrane. Anything can happen on such a night. And then she, um, quote, continues to say, to defy blind belief but to be open to infinite possibilities. That is why I'm proud to wear the Baphomet. That is one main aspect of the philosophy Anton, Anton LaVey crystallized as Satanism. I do not have to be a bubble brain true believer to entertain wild fantasies. I can appreciate the power of fear, sensuality, and ritual without giving up my reason. In Satanism, they're one and the same. Sexuality and intelligence, here she's blurring the lines, right? Religion and logic, imagination and science, illusion and reality, fact and fiction, all shifting seamlessly together in intriguing patterns. Satanism dive headlong into all possibilities, delighting more in a complex truth than in a comforting lie. We revel in the stimulation of complexity, the tittering back and forth to extremes in order to find inevitable balance. That is the essence of life. Status leads to stagnation. And then she finishes off with saying, yes, the demons have indeed provided a vision of the future to me this most unhallowed night. I see the firelight flickering wildly in my son's eyes as he dances happily in his pirate costume. I see the young monsters and witches and vampires loosed in our streets, never to be shackled again. I see reason and science and fantasy blasting away the dull uh, lethargy of defunct philosophies. I see Satanists all over the world meeting in small groups this night and, uh, and Halloween's 500 years hence to raise a glass to the infernal host, their revolutionaries, myth makers, infidels, and reprobates. And to Anthony LaVey, long live our high priest. And then she finishes off with hail, you know who, quote, closed. So this is on the Church of Satan's website. Uh, so in the Druid tradition, Samhain celebrates the dead 
uh, with the festival on October 31st. And then usually it features a bonfire and communion with the dead. And the American pagan pagans often hold music and dance celebrations called Witch's Bowl in proximity to Samhain. So all of these traditions have blurred together and we celebrate them today in our time. Also, in the Middle Ages, trick-or-treating emerged. In England and Ireland, during All Saints Day and All Souls Day celebrations, poor people would visit the houses of wealthier families and receive pastries called soul cakes in exchange for a promise to pray for the souls of the homeowner's dead relatives. Known, known as souling, the practice was later taken up by children who would go from door to door asking for gifts such as food, money, an early form of trick-or-treating. And today, we know it as going door to door asking for candy, which I always wondered, because in Russia, we... Don't celebrate Halloween. We don't do it. At least we didn't do it when I was a kid. So when I moved here, I was always wondering why, like, where did the trick-or-treating come from? Why kids go to door, ask for candy? And this, it, the history of it comes from the Middle Ages. In 19th century, jack-o'-lanterns took shape. The practice of carving faces into vegetables became associated with Halloween in Ireland and Scotland around the 1800s. Jack-o'-lanterns originated from an Irish myth about a man nicknamed Stingy Jack, who tricked the devil and was forced to roam the earth with only a burning coal and a turnip to light his way. People began to make their own versions of Jack's lanterns by carving scary faces into turnips or potatoes and placing them into windows or near doors to frighten away stinging jack and other wandering evil spirits again same thing that we do today right with carving pumpkins and putting them by our doors by the front doors of our houses also in 19th century halloween comes to america and with it comes mischief with the exception of catholic dominated Maryland and some other southern colonies, Halloween celebrations were extremely limited in early America, which was largely uh, Protestant. It wasn't until the mid-19th century that new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, helped popularize the celebration nationally. These immigrants celebrated as they did back in their homelands, especially by pulling pranks. In the late 1800s, common Halloween tricks included placing farmers' wagons and livestock on barn roofs, uprooting vegetables in backyard gardens, and tipping over outhouses. By the early 20th century, vandalism, um, physical assaults, and acts of violence were not that common on Halloween. Um, it reminds me of my husband telling me stories how they would run from house to house smashing people's um, pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns, right? I think that's kind of like this innocent form of violence. <laughs> 1930s, haunted houses became a thing in the U.S. Haunted or spooky public attractions already had some precedent in Europe. Starting in the 1800s, Mary Tussauds Wax Museum in London featured a chamber of horrors with de uh, decapitated figures from the French Revolution. 
1915, a British amusement ride manufacturer created an early haunted house complete with dim lights, shaking floors, and demonic screams. In the U.S., the Great Depression kick-started the trend. By then, violence around Halloween had reached new heights. Parents concerned about their children running around on Hallow's Eve organized haunted houses or trails to keep them off the streets. In 1950s, Halloween costumes went mainstream. Costume and disguises have figured into Halloween celebrations since the holiday's earliest days, but it wasn't until the mid-20th century that costumes started to look like what we um, know them as today. Around the same time, neighborhoods uh, begin to organize activities such as haunted houses to keep kids safe and occupied. Costumes became more important and less abstract and scary. Remember, because in the days of Celtic, they wore animal skin and heads as a form of costume. They began to take the form of things children would have seen and enjoyed, like characters from radio shows, comics, and movies. And in the 1950s, mass production of costumes became more affordable, so more kids began to use them to dress up as princesses, mummies, clowns, um, pirates, and their favorite uh, characters from shows. Well, in the 1980s, the fear of about poison Halloween candy reached new heights. While in general, the fears about poison Halloween candy have been overblown, crimes involving poison have occurred. The most infamous case took place on October 31st, 1974. That's when a Texas man named Ronald O'Brien gave... Um, laced pixie sticks to five children, including his son. The other children never ate the candy, but his eight-year-old son Timothy did, and he died soon after. The paranoia reached new heights in the early 1980s after a rash of, uh, rush of Tylenol poisoning, in which there were spiced with drugs, was placed on store shelves and sold. After the Tylenol murders, which are still unsolved, warnings about adulterated Halloween candy increased. And if you follow in the news this year, we hear about um, fentanyl overdoses, and they come looking like candy, right? Right in time for Halloween. And... We just see through history that everything that was dark and demonic was always associated with Halloween. I also had a quote by John Ramirez, who is an ex-Satanist, who is now a Christian pastor, who just shares his story and has an amazing testimony. He shared and he said that... Um. For many who celebrate Halloween, that celebration carries over to November 1st, which is also known to some as the Day of the Dead or All Saints Day, but there is nothing holy about it. It's demonic. I am not surprised at how the world embraces this holiday because the title of All Saints Day is a deceiving one. We have a picture in our minds that it seems holy, but there is nothing innocent about it. This holiday is practiced all throughout South and Central America and distant parts of the world, and even in the United States. To the Spanish culture, it is called Dia de Mortos. I'm sorry if I butchered this. And they celebrate the dead through rituals and ceremonies and cemetery visits. John Ramirez. They do the same in Russia, where they visit the cemeteries and you know bring the food to the dead and 
uh, also, I this quote always circulates around, and I went on the Church of Satan, and there they claim it's not true, but people say that Anton LaVey, who was the founder of the Church of Satan, said that I'm glad that Christian parents let their children worship the devil at least one night out of the year. I told you that at the end of kind of diving into Halloween and where it came from and knowing the root of it and the origin of it, which is important to know so you can make a a decision based on facts and based on history, whether you want to participate in it or not. You see the how the, the Catholic Church kind of blurred that line and tried to make it a, you know, an acceptable tradition in the Christian community and how it continued on. And in a couple of weeks, people are going to be participating and celebrating in that in that holiday. And two years ago, we went to my sister's-in-law house. We made the, you know, Halloween-themed snacks and kids dressed up and we dressed up and we went to trick-or-treat in their neighborhood. And it was a big neighborhood and lots of kids and, of course, everybody waited till it's dark. And notice how you don't usually go trick-or-treating when it's light because darkness and light, they don't coexist. Spooky stuff are not spooky in the light, right? The demons, the spirits, the, all the scary stuff comes out to play when it's dark. So we went trick-or-treating around the neighborhood and there were, you know, there was scary decor and people dressed up and there was one particular house that we walked up to and I knew right away it was not decorated. It was simply People brought what was inside their homes now on the outside to the outside because it was accepted on this particular night. And they had a giant uh, picture of the devil, like this red head with horns and the mocking tongue giant behind them. They had heavy metal music blasting, a plastic table with a black cloth set up. So that was like the only decor they had, right? This giant head of Satan, metal music, and the people that were sitting at the table giving out candy were dressed in black leather, long coats, and they had this like long black hair. And again, I'm like, okay, they're not wearing costumes. They literally look like they worship the devil. And was still that didn't stop me from going up to the table, right? Because, I mean, it's Halloween, whatever, not a big deal in my head at the time. And we're walking up to the table, and my little daughter, who was four at the time, she went to reach for the candy, and the man who was standing right across her reached over and, like, spread um reached over her little head he didn't touch her but he put his hand over her head and he started to chant in another language immediately i locked eyes with him i pulled her away told her no leave the candy and we started walking away and right now telling the story i feel chills going up and down my body um we started to walk away and I looked back. I started praying over her because the Holy Spirit told me, you need to pray. You need to pray 
uh, wow, I'm, I'm getting chills. Um, you need to pray because this is a, an attack that's happening right now. Um, and as I'm praying, I turn back to look at this man and the look on his face was like mocking me, kind of saying, yeah, go ahead and pray that away. And it took me back to the night where I decorated my home and I could hear the devil laugh. The same thing happened. Four years later, the same thing happened um, on that night. And uh, I just felt this heavy spirit, and I knew we weren't supposed to be there. And we went home, and my daughter started to have nightmares after that incident. And she used to always love playing upstairs in her room by herself. You know, she'll put a cartoon on, and she'll get her toys out, and she'll play, and she'll be totally fine. But after that night, she refused to go up to her room even during the day. She was too afraid. She wanted one of the adults to go with her. And then I remember, you know, after some time, I tried to ask her, like, okay, so, honey, like, what are you afraid of? Did you have a bad dream? Did, you know, is something in a room that's scaring you? And she didn't want to tell me. She said, no, I don't want to tell you. I'm too afraid. I don't want to tell you. So I didn't want to keep pushing, you know. I gave her space and waited. And and then a few days went by, and she said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to tell you. And I'm like, okay. And she said, when I play during the day or when I go to sleep, there's a dark shadow, a, a tall man that shows up and he stands in the corner and he watches me play. And right away I knew that the, that incident and what happened on Halloween night was were linked together. That we have willingly participated in a, in a holiday, in a, in a ritual, in a practice that we're not supposed to participate in as a Christians. And we have opened the door and invited the devil in, just like I did being a child, doing this ritual jokingly. We opened the doors without knowing them because there are doors that are in the supernatural realm that are unseen to our physical eye. And that's exactly what the devil uses to come in and bring attacks on your children, on your home, on your health, on your marriage, uh, your job. That is exactly how it happens. And that's why you need to know the history behind things, where it started, how it started before you participate in them. And, um, we start praying. I start praying over her. I remove things from her from her room that symbolize anything. And um, I went around my house and got my got my house in order and got um, objects that I felt the Holy Spirit told me to remove from my home. And those convictions they they happen um, to each person on their own time at their own uh, speed. You know, so if you, I always encourage you to pray and seek the Holy Spirit yourself because you can listen to people's testimonies and stories and some people get defensive when you bring up certain things. That's why I say just go open your heart and seek the Lord because he will show you where he wants you and what he wants you to take out of your home and what doors he wants you to close. Um in Leviticus 19.31, it says that do not turn to mediums or seek out spirits 
for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Whether you do it as a joke, whether you do it because it's Halloween, if you're contacting the spirits, if you're practicing witchcraft, if you're using Ouija boards, if you're seeking mediums to read your palms in the future, I was into all of those things because naturally to our sinful nature those kind of things are intriguing they pull us in they're spike the curiosity we like the adrenaline rush but god said those spirits those things will defile you in second chronicles 33 6 it says he sacrificed his children he's talking about um one of the kings in Israel, that he sacrificed his children in the fire of the valley of Ben-Hanon, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought out almonds, and consulted mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Micah 5.12 says, I will destroy your witchcraft, and you will no longer cast spells. 1 Samuel 15.23 says, For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of adultery. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. I went on Google and I just typed in divination, and it said that practice of seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown by the supernatural means. And then it quotes, it said, The Celtic art of divination. So... Everything has a beginning and everyone has history. Everything has history. Um, when this kind of things are presented to you, it's up to you to pray over them and to make a decision for your home, for your family, be, be the gatekeeper of your home. We'll live in the time where um, the good is bad and the bad is good, where those kind of things now are normal in our time where it's normal to go to a medium it's normal to get a palm reading or use tarot cards or or um you know play with ouija boards those things are accepted now so you are the odd one out if you don't participate in those things and it says so that in the last days people will mock you people will laugh at you but remember they did all those things to jesus first and you are not of this world so I hope that this travel back in history gave you some insight and taught you some things and gave you some ground to stand on when you make a decision for your family for this year. And I pray that you are kept safe and blessed and that no attack of the enemy comes against you. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Please make sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and family. And if you have your own testimony that you would like to share, you can email me to ali at anointedpath.com. You can also find me on Instagram at anointedpath. God bless you all, and I'll chat with you soon.